Once again, everybody just looks so happy. It looks like you're enjoying being together. And that's a real blessing for us to see that, to see the body of believers enjoying being together. And I'm, I'm excited that we get to spend this time together this evening in the Word. And uh, Pastor Josh is not here tonight. Uh, he's actually been traveling this week. He was out uh, speaking in L.A., uh, in connection with some of the partnership work that we're doing in L.A., he's out there encouraging uh, and challenging uh, leaders there um, in the work that they're doing in the city of L.A. And so uh, he's asked if I would fill in tonight and share in this time of Bible study, and I'm excited to be able to do that, looking forward to spend time with you all. And I'll just go ahead and tell you from the start, so we're not going to be in Exodus I know that'd be a big disappointment, right? And and it's not going to be like an expositional sermon either, uh, but really just more a, a guided reflection on the narrative of the first missionary journey and a very focused time of prayer when we see the things that were happening in that first journey and how that that inspires us in terms of what we're trying to accomplish today as a church. We just want to let those action steps that come out of the text of the book of Acts, chapters 13 and 14, 15, just looking at some of the things there that would direct us in how we pray for the advance of God's kingdom. And so I'm looking forward to that time. I have several people that are going to help us tonight in this guided time of prayer. And I really believe the Lord is going to bless this time. It's going to be a sweet time of fellowship that we have with each other and that we have with the Lord as we spend time in His Word and in prayer. I want to get us started with a word of prayer, and let's just commit this time to the Lord and ask that He would lead us during this time, that He would have His way in our hearts and lives. Anytime we open the Word of God, you realize we're opening a book that is it's alive and it's active and God uses his word to transform our lives. And so we just want to ask him to do that tonight. As we spend time in the word and in prayer, we want to be open to how the Lord might want to work uh, to bring transformation in our lives. We're never too far in our maturity that we don't need more transformation. Amen. So we want to ask the Lord to do that. So would you just bow your heads with me and your hearts also, let's just invite the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts tonight. Father, we're thankful for your call on our lives. Thank you that that call is a call to salvation first. It's an invitation to come, to leave our sins behind, to be forgiven and reconciled so that we can walk in intimate fellowship with you. Thank you for that call on our lives. And Lord, we know that that call to salvation is accompanied with a call to be an, an ambassador, to serve you, to share good news with others, to make disciples of others. And tonight, as we spend time in your word, we just ask that that you do the work, the transforming work that needs to take place in each of our lives. Lord, help us see things that maybe we've never seen before. Reveal those areas in our life where you desire to work and conform us further into the image of Christ. And Lord, as you speak into our hearts and lives, we even now, we, we just say yes to you Whatever you may be leading us to do, our answer is yes. We thank you again for this time. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are gathered here. And we just commit this time into your hands now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Acts, chapter 13. Again, this is not an attempt to get ahead of our sermon series. You're going to hear a great expositional sermon, I am sure, on these chapters whenever we make it to chapters 13 and 14. We're actually going to make a quick pass 
through Acts chapters 13, 14. And just, we're going to make a couple of quick stops also over in chapter 15 and 16 to pull out some things that I think are really relevant for us to consider tonight. But, but here's, here's what I want you to, to think about is, as, as we just examine the components of the missionary strategy that we see Barnabas and Paul implement on that first missionary journey, I believe there are some really rich insights for us to gain from that study. One thing that I believe will come out of it is that that we'll have a better picture of what our missionaries that we send out through the IMB. By the way, you realize as a Southern Baptist, as a member of this church, you have sent and are supporting 3,527 missionaries who are serving all over this world. And we should all say hallelujah, right? Isn't that a wonderful blessing to know that we as a church are partnering with other Southern Baptists to send laborers to engage in the work of God's harvest. And so as we look into these passages of Scripture that we'll be studying through tonight, we're going to have a better understanding of the strategies that our IMB missionaries are trying to employ in their work so that we will know better how to pray for them, how to support them, encourage them, and how to come alongside of them in partnership. And I think that's really important for us as a church. Amen? So that's one takeaway that I hope we'll get from this. Better insight what our missionaries are doing. By the way, the missionary strategies of the IMB workers, it, it didn't come out of a think tank in Richmond, Virginia. And it didn't even come just out of like the, the practical ministries of work in some village in Africa or Asia. It didn't come, it didn't come out of some modern missionary journal or publication. I think you'll be pleased to know tonight that your missionaries are taking their marching orders from the pages of God's Word. They are looking at the narrative of the missionary journeys as recorded in the book of Acts and saying, we want to do that. We want to do that what the Spirit of God did through those early missionaries. The second, the second big gain, I think, for us out of this study, it, doesn't, it, it relates to us more personally because I believe what we'll learn as we look through these texts today will help us also, not just as we think about work that's far away in places like Asia and Africa and Europe. But I believe the things that we'll discover in God's Word tonight will give us fresh insight on what God is calling us to do right here in our local community. And I think that is also super important. I believe the missionary strategies that we see in the first century, we need to engage in those same activities to see the kingdom of God advance in Greenville, South Carolina. Amen? All right, so that's what we're going to be looking at, and we're going to dive right in. Acts chapter 13, let me set context just a little bit. Acts chapter 13 starts with this gathering of leaders who make up the church in Antioch or who are leading the church in Antioch. And among those leaders, there's a guy by the name of Paul. And we just finished walking through a sermon recently in Acts chapter 9 where we saw the radical transformation of Saul who became Paul. Remember his story? Remember how he hated the church. Remember how adamantly opposed he was to the ministry of the church, how he tried to prevent the gospel from spreading. And remember how he had his encounter on the Damascus Road and how his life was radically transformed. And now we find him, that was Acts chapter 9, now we're in Acts chapter 13, and we find him as a, a part of this, 
this gathering of leaders in the church of Antioch. And so I want you to look at the call that is placed on Paul's life in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Let's look at those verses together. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, I want you to just, as you think about these verses that we just read, the leaders are together, and what were they doing? What does it say the leaders were doing? Worshiping the Lord and fasting. So we get this picture of the leadership team of the local church seeking the will of God, seeking the favor of God on their church, on their ministry. And who is it in that setting that called Barnabas and Paul to launch out on that first missionary journey? Which of the church leaders was it that put his hand on the shoulder of Saul and Barnabas or pointed his finger at Saul and Barnabas and said, we want to send you? Which of the leaders in the church was it that sent them? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It's like the silence is broken. We don't often hear references in the Scripture to the Holy Spirit speaking. Not like where it's quoted in quotations that the Holy Spirit said something. Now, I'm not saying we don't often see the Holy Spirit working or that we don't see the Holy Spirit guiding and revealing truth, but it is not often that we actually see the quotations around words that were spoken by the Holy Spirit. But here we have it, just a few chapters after Saul's radical conversion, the Holy Spirit is the one who singles out Paul and Barnabas to send them to engage in what he calls the work. And I put quotes around the work. It was God. It was the Holy Spirit of God who chose Paul and Barnabas to go on this journey. Now, this is not the first time that God has revealed his plan to send Paul on a mission. Do you remember back Acts chapter 9? Flip back real quick to Acts chapter 9 verse 15. At the time of his conversion, this is like, this is before he went to seminary, right? This is like all in the, it's like the same experience. It's like these things happen really closely together. This radical conversion on the Damascus road. And then in Acts chapter 9 verse 15, What does the Lord say? The Lord is telling Ananias who is going to go and and minister to Saul because remember, he's blinded for that short period of time after having that encounter with the Lord on the Damascus road. And the Lord is, is urging the messenger, you go and speak to Saul. Why? He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. God had already determined, even at his conversion, that his intention was to send him on a mission. And then here in in Acts chapter 13, we, we see the Holy Spirit working consistent with what the Father has already revealed. As he says, set apart these men for the work to which I have called them. Now, it it should not be odd to us that God would be sending someone like Paul. Now, it, it does seem a little odd, though, doesn't it? That so quickly after his conversion... 
so close to the time that he stood as an enemy of the church, it does seem a bit odd that so close to that experience, God would announce his intention to sin. But don't forget that I really believe this sending of God, it flows out of the character and nature of God. God is a sending God. Amen? I mean, just think about it. Trace back the, the things that God has sent people to do. I mean, we can go all the way back to, to Genesis, the first chapter of Genesis, after God's created all the things that He created, and He created Adam and Eve. And I think it's chapter 1, verse 28. You can check me on that. If I'm wrong, you can graciously tell me later I was wrong. But I believe it's chapter 1, verse 28. God is sending Adam... To, to multiply, to fill the earth, he says, and have dominion, to, to multiply and fill the earth. He's sending him. Remember, he sent Noah on a similar mission. After the fall, then there's the flood, and it's like there's this reboot on planet earth. You got one family left. And God gives a very similar command, sending Noah then to multiply and fill the earth. And we can just keep tracing. Did God send Abraham? Sure he did. Not just for his family to be blessed. Remember what his call was? That all the nations, all the families of the nations would be blessed. God is a sending God. Moses, did he send Moses? Did he send Isaiah? Um, Isaiah volunteered. The Holy Spirit dealing with his heart, he beheld the glory of God. But did, he, did God send him? Yes, because God is a sending God. Those who have beheld the glory of God are sent to declare the glory of God. Amen? Yeah, Isaiah, the prophets, all of them were sent. The disciples, they were sent. Go back and look at Luke 9 and 10. Go, go look at Matthew 10 with the investment that Jesus made in the lives of the disciples. Then he would send them to go and do what they had witnessed him doing in their presence. And not only the disciples that we read about who lived in the first century, but Matthew 28, 18 through 20. God is a sending God. Amen? He has sent us. Where? To all nations to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey all that He is commanding. God is a sending God And so we should not be surprised that he is sending Paul. God is not only a sending God, though you know God is also a going God. Before he sends, he, he is also a going God. Do you remember when Adam and Eve failed the test of their obedience to the Lord in that garden and took that fruit? What did they do immediately after they ate that fruit? They went to hide. They felt the guilt and shame associated with their sin. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, God, who is a going God, goes in pursuit of lost Adam and lost Eve to cover their shame, to cover their nakedness with the skins of those animals that would likely have come from that first sacrifice that would be offered to foreshadow a greater sacrifice that would be made later to cover our guilt and our shame, the sacrifice of Jesus. What's the point? The point is that God is a going God. Amen? And God is a sending God. And He has sent Paul and Barnabas on a mission. And if we look carefully at the language of this call, it's clear that he says they are called to do the work. The work. Now, we don't know initially what that means. It's just the work that he had set them apart for. He had chosen them for a specific task. And that same phrase, the work, is used again in chapter 14, verse 26. Why don't you flip over 
to chapter 14, verse 26. It says, They sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work. But what does it say about the work? The work that had been fulfilled, the work that they had fulfilled, the work that had been completed, the work that had been finished. Same phrase, the work, but at a different time. In chapter 13, verse 2, it's work that you've been set apart for. In Acts chapter 14, 26, it's work that's been finished. It's a mission that has been accomplished. And so what does this mean? I, I believe it means that these are the bookends, by the way, it is the bookends of Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey. And so the work that they had been called to has now been completed. And if we were to read carefully everything in between Acts 13.2 and Acts 14.26, you know what we would find? We would find what the missionary task is. We would uncover in those verses what it is that God is sending people on a mission to accomplish. What is the missionary task? That's what we find in those verses. Luke records that work in this narrative, and we want to look at that tonight. And then we want to spend some time focusing in prayer for each component of the missionary task. We want to pray that for the workers that we have sent out and that we support to work in South Asia. But we also want to pray that for us as we think about how to engage Greenville County here in the state of South Carolina. So I want you to notice, and we're going to keep looking at Acts 13. Let's look at Acts 13. And I want to pull up this one word because I believe this is the first component. Uh-oh. There we go. The first component of the missionary task is entry. The first thing the missionary does is enters into fields where the work of the gospel needs to take place. This is an intentional going to a place or an intentional going to a people for the purpose of engaging them with the gospel of Jesus. It's not a passive thing where we just wait and watch to see if God happens to bring someone by. And if he does, and I feel like it and circumstances are just perfect and the stars are aligned, then I'll engage. It's not that. This entry that we see in, in the book of Acts is an intentional going for the purpose of intentionally engaging in the work of the gospel. It begins with an awareness that there is a gospel deficiency, a place where the gospel hasn't yet gone. And the response is an active response. We will go to that place or we will go to those peoples to engage them. I want you to notice, just look at all the the places that they entered on this first missionary journey. If we look at verse 4, verse 4, it says, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And then they arrived at Salamis. And then look on down at verses 4 through 12. As we keep reading, it says, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And then it says, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos. So we see them intentionally going from city to city where the gospel had not yet been heard. And they're going there on purpose. If you flip over to chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, notice what it says. 14, 1 through 5 says, they, they were in Iconium. Now at Iconium, 
they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. If we look at verses 6 through 19, it says that they go into Lystra. When an attempt was made by Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and they fled. Where did they go? To Lystra and to Derbe. And so we see them in this journey and you can look at the other journeys that are also recorded in the book of Acts. And we see this intentional first step that the missionary takes. And that is to identify those places where the gospel has not been known and go there, go to those places with the intentional plan to engage them to see the kingdom of God established in those places. Entry is the first component of the missionary task. Now, we oftentimes think of places when we think of entry. We are, and, and as a matter of fact, all of this that I have mentioned to you were all places. They were all place names. But, but we need to make sure that we don't make the mistake of overlooking the fact that when it comes to entry, we can't just think of places, we also have to think of peoples who maybe are isolated from the gospel for various reasons that, that we, we need to identify those reasons and go and overcome those barriers. And let me just give an example, a local example. There are sub-segments of our own community here in Taylor's that our church is not effectively engaging with the gospel. There are parts of our community that if we just do what we have always done, the gospel will not flow from our church into those parts of the community. Sometimes the barrier is language. Sometimes the barrier might be something else. Sometimes it might be socioeconomics. Or other things. It might be ethnicity. It might be race. There are a number of things that could be the barriers that keep the gospel from flowing. And so when we think of entering places, we can't just say, oh, we've got a church in Taylor's. The church is there. A growing number of people are coming on Sunday. Most of them are smiling most of the time. Everything's going great. We can't make that mistake. We have to be willing to have our eyes open to look at our community and to examine, is the gospel flowing into every segment of our community? Does everybody in our community have access to the gospel and to the opportunity to be discipled and to be a part of a healthy and vibrant church? That's what we have to think about. And that's what our missionaries have to think about. For them, it's even more complicated. And I want to illustrate that with this stack of cards. I realize already I've talked a long time and we've only made it through one point. Is anybody nervous? We have six points. We'll pick up the pace. I want to hold these cards. Each of these cards are representative of a distinct people group in South Asia. These are not duplicates. This is not a thousand copies of five unengaged, unreached people groups. This is one copy per one unengaged, unreached people group just in the nations that make up South Asia. The cards are this size. And I'm holding the stack of cards that represents the people. We can't just say, oh, there's a church in India. We can't just say, oh, yeah, there are churches in Nepal. Oh, yeah, we know there are a few churches in Sri Lanka. We can't just say, oh, there is a church in that place and then assume that every people group has access to the gospel. The missionary is having to think about, no, we want to see the gospel get to every place and every people group. And church, the missionary feels that way because God feels that way. 
God has a burden for every people group in every place. And we can look ahead in the the book of Revelation and, and see the fulfillment of a promise God has made to gather people from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every people group. Revelation 7, 9. Read it sometime tonight before you go to bed and and picture in your mind what God is doing today to fulfill Revelation 7-9, which means these cards that represent people where there is not yet a Christian. There are no known believers. There are no known witnesses among these people groups. There is no established church ministering to these people. 997 distinct people groups that are on an unengaged, unreached people group in South Asia. If you're wondering why is our church seeming to have moved away from some of our other partnerships and all we ever hear about is international stuff anyway is South Asia. It's because we want to prioritize these least reached peoples and see the gospel get to them before it's too late. That's why. That's why we've chosen to prioritize South Asia. It's because God is a going God. And it's because God is a sending God. And he's wanting to send his church to bear witness of his glory and his grace to all of these peoples. Entry is the beginning of the missionary's task. Entering places, engaging specific people until everyone has had a chance to hear the good news. We're going to pause for just a moment. And we're actually going to pray together. And I'm going to pull up a slide. And I want you to just right where you're seated, I want you to take just a moment and pause and pray. And you see the prayer prompts that are focused on praying for entry. Specifically, we're praying for our missionaries and the national partners that they work with to be able to enter every South Asian place, and to engage every South Asian people group. And so I want you right now just to take a few moments. You can keep your eyes open if you want to and pray. You can turn with the person beside you if you want to. You can pray out loud. You can pray quietly. However you feel led, we're going to take a couple of moments just to pray for the work of entry in South Asia and in South Carolina. And in a few moments, Debbie is going to come and close this part as we move on through other components of the missionary task. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much that you are a loving God. Father, you are the creator of the universe who is worthy of the praise of all peoples. And God, we just want to cry out for the people of South Asia who have yet to hear the name of Jesus. Father, we pray for the North Sentinelese people living on an isolated island who... No one understands their language, who 
no one can get close to the island because of them trying to kill them. But Father, you love the North Sentinelese people. And so would you give an open door for effective work among them? I pray specifically for the Mapila people, nine million Muslims in southern India who it has been so hard to keep missionaries there. I thank you for Bruno and Paula, our brothers and sister from Brazil, and just ask that you continue your protection over them, that you give them many opportunities to, to train and to share boldly, and that the Mopula would come to you. And Father, I pray for Stephen and I right here in our new neighborhood, that you would give us opportunity to speak truth into the hearts of our neighbors. I pray for my brothers and sisters sitting here with us, God, that you would use them, Lord, that you would open doors of opportunity for them to share the gospel with those that come in contact with them. Father, thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for loving your people, and thank you for responding in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Debbie. So entry is just the first step. Um, and I, I just want to say this as we think about the next component in the strategy. Uh, presence does not equal proclamation. It's not enough to just be in a place. You've heard the old saying, right? Preach the gospel and use words when necessary. You've heard that before, right? Well, I, I just want to tell you, and I'm sorry if you've said this before, but that just is, it's not true that we can do that. We can't preach the gospel without words. Now, we can demonstrate the power of the gospel in our life. We can reflect that our lives have been transformed by the gospel, but the gospel is a message that must be proclaimed. It must be heard for people to be saved. And so the second component of the missionary strategy is evangelism. And so I want you just to look quickly, and we can do this quickly. If you look at, back at your Bibles, Acts 13, look at verse 5. Now, we named all the places that they entered, but I want you to see what they did when they got to those places. In Acts chapter 13, verse 5, it says, When they arrived at Salamis, they... Somebody say it. Proclaimed the word of God. Look at verse 7. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. You see that? A man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul, who sought to hear the word of God. Then look on down to chapter 13, verse 16 and following. We get... A pretty lengthy gospel presentation, but, but that's what it is. We see Paul and Barnabas in Antioch and Pisidia, and they are proclaiming the message of the gospel. Look at verse, uh, and I can't see it without my glasses. I think it's verse 30, 38. Yeah, verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Do you see that? The work of evangelism involves our mouths being open and the words of the gospel being proclaimed. We see it in chapter 14 verses 1 through 5. They entered the Jewish synagogue and they spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. They spoke boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of His grace. Look on down at verse 7. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Chapter 14, verse 21. When they had 
preached the gospel that day in the cities of Lystra and Derby. He's referring to. And so what I want you to see here again, the gospel is a message that must be proclaimed. It must be heard. It must be believed and received. And it calls on individuals to repent of sin and surrender their will to the Lordship of Christ. The gospel makes that demand on us that we believe and that we repent and follow Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, we hear these words. It says, faith comes by hearing. It has to be proclaimed. In Romans chapter 1, verse 14 through 16, we hear Paul saying, basically saying that he is under an obligation he says, to proclaim the word of God. And then in verse 16, he says, he is not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Here's what I believe. I believe the missionary's task is to not only enter every place and every people group, but to evangelize them, to proclaim the good news of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and to call on people to repent and believe that message and be saved. And I believe that we are under that same obligation that Paul mentioned. I actually believe that, that, it's, that, that this is supported by Scripture that that our salvation and our stewardship of the gospel are simultaneous things that, that we are given a stewardship of. We are saved in a moment when we repent and believe and we are given the stewardship of the gospel in that same moment. We are under an obligation. Two words, and I'll, I'll say these words and then we're going to pause and pray for evangelism. Gospel urgency. That's the message the Lord has written on my heart in recent weeks that makes me restless thinking about gospel urgency. Who in our community, their life has not yet been impacted by the good news of the gospel. Will we move towards them with a sense of urgency, not to condemn them, but to share with them the glorious news of how they can be reconciled to a God who created them, who loves them, and who longs to have relationship with them. We're going to pause right now and spend a few moments praying for our workers in South Asia regarding this component of the strategy that we call evangelism. And after a few moments of us praying, and again, the prayer prompts are on the screen right where you're sitting. You just offer up your prayer to the Lord silently or out loud. And in just a few moments, Caleb Ross is going to come up and close out this time of prayer. Let's join our hearts together and pray for the gospel to move with urgency. Father, from the foundations of the world, from the very beginning, your redemptive work is clear in who you are. And as you've raised us up as a church, I just, through Paul, Lord, I just, we read Romans 10, 
14, then how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You've given us words to speak, Lord. I pray that we will be bold to go and to speak them. Whether it's our brothers and sisters in South Asia or it's us, where we work, where we play, and where we live, Lord, I just pray that our biggest concern would be to not speak for you giving us the words. And just like the, just like the early church prayed, Lord, give us boldness to go. And so I pray for all my brothers and sisters here, no matter how old, no matter how young, no matter if they're new believers or they've been saints for many, many years, I pray that you would burden all of us where we work, where we play, and where we live, that we'd also pray for brothers and sisters who are doing this every day all across the world. Lord, I pray right now for David and for Glenn, Lord, that you would call them to yourself, but that I would speak so they would know who you are and your love for them. I pray for every one of us in this room that you would give us those people that you were, that you desire to know you. So send, you've sent us and you've given us words, Lord. I pray that we would speak them. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Caleb. The third thing that we see, evangelism, is, of course, proclaiming the good news, but it's not enough for us just to proclaim the good news. And if we look carefully at what Paul and, and Barnabas and look at the other journeys, we see this was their pattern everywhere we, where they went. Uh, when, when they were proclaiming the gospel, they were also following that gospel proclamation up with discipleship. And I think we know this, right? Discipleship is central to the Great Commission. We're not just sent to proclaim the gospel. We're sent to proclaim the gospel and make disciples of those who put their faith in Jesus and turn to follow him. And so we, we see the early church doing that. Chapter 13, verses 16 through 49, there's this lengthy gospel presentation, but that gospel presentation itself contains so many important truths that are a part of those believers growing in the depth of their insight of what it means to follow Jesus. And if we look on chapter 14, verse 3, notice what it says. Um, so they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. They spent lengthy time there, continuing to proclaim the word of God, believing that the word of God had the power to transform lives. Look at chapter 14, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. Yeah, we see that phrase there. Then look at verse 14 through 22. It says, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And verse 22 say, strengthening the souls, Right? Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. This is the ministry of discipleship. They were going back to those places where the gospel had been preached. And they were sharing the word of God. They were teaching those new believers to obey the teachings of Christ. The word of God is central to discipleship. Amen. And for us to grow in discipleship means not just learning information from the Bible, but it means submitting to the ministry of the Word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that we experience transformation. And it is a total transformation. It's a transformation of, of our will, our minds, our hearts, our affections, our desires, our purpose. It, it's a total transformation and it's the word that God uses to bring about that transformation. Discipleship, it, it actually, it penetrates the heart of a new believer and, and even begins to reshape their worldview so that their worldview is now being driven by the truths that we find in the word of God. Discipleship is an intentional investment in somebody's life. It's, it's where we say to someone else, 
Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what discipleship is. And that's what we see Paul and Barnabas doing. And that's what God is calling and he's using our missionaries to do in South Asia. That's what he's calling us to do right here in South Carolina. So we're going to pause right now and we're going to pray for the ministry of disciple making. And you've got the bullet points there on the screen in front of you. Why don't you take just a few moments and offer up your prayer that God would use our workers and that he would use us also to be effective at seeing transformation in the lives of those that we're discipling. After a few moments, we'll close that time of prayer as well. But you voice your prayer from where you're sitting. Lord, we recognize the work of discipleship is a spiritual endeavor, and we recognize the, the, the centrality of, of like the word, the part the word plays in the discipleship of those new believers, and how culture and worldview, how, how scripture trumps all of that, and how real discipleship does bring real transformation of our heart, our mind, our will, our affections, our purpose, our relationships. And so, Lord, we pray that the, the, the discipleship ministries of this church would produce the fruit of changed lives in our community. And we pray that same thing for the work of our missionaries across South Asia, especially as they deal with the challenges of, of speaking into cultures that have been steeped in idolatry and in all kinds of traditions that, that really uh, have denied the existence of God and even made a mockery of who you are. Lord, what a challenge our missionaries are facing. And so we pray for your favor over them as they just hold out your word and trust your word to do the work of bringing transformation. We pray for favor in the work of discipleship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I know our time is moving quickly here, and we'll try to pick up our pace a bit as well, but I want you to see that we enter, we evangelize, we make disciples but there's also another intentional part of the strategy that we see them engaged in. And let's just go ahead and look straight to chapter 14, verse 23. And I want you to, to see one of the intentional things that they were involved in. Uh, in chapter 14, verse 23, it says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. What did you see there that stands out in your mind? The word churches, you see that word? They had evangelized in Lister and Derby. They had made disciples. 
They had circled back to strengthen the souls of the disciples, to encourage them to endure in their faith, to not turn back, to keep pursuing the Lord. But then it also says that they were appointing elders in the churches. And so it's quite clear as we look at this text that part of the ministry of this this first missionary team meant establishing new churches. And this is not the only time we see this mentioned. We see it here. If we were to look at chapter 15, verse 41, I want you to notice what's written. 1541, it says, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, plural. Look at chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. We see this intentionality behind the way Paul and Barnabas were discipling those believers to come together and establish New Testament churches. I think the best example that we could get of this is go back to Acts chapter 2. Remember when Peter proclaimed the gospel in Acts chapter 2? Remember what happened? Remember that large number of people took baptism that day? And then immediately we look at chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We find all of those things that it says the believers were devoted to. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were sharing their possessions with one another. They were meeting in homes and taking meals. They were giving to the poor. They were doing all of these things. To me, that's the perfect example of a church that is born right out of the harvest. The gospel was preached. They taught them to obey everything that Christ had commanded. And those believers covenanted covenanted together to be the body of Christ in that community. Church planting was an intentional part of the strategy of the early missionaries that we read about here in the book of Acts And you find that as a part of our vision statement as a church. We encounter God, equip believers to engage the world, and the fourth E, establish the church. It's biblical that we pursue the planting of new churches. We get this from the Word of God and the example of these early missionaries The church is a group of disciples who are obeying all that Christ commanded together in covenant community. And the presence of a church in a a local place or among a local people group, it's what helps sustain the work of the kingdom in that community after the missionary is gone. Amen? We believe in the value of church planting. And we're going to pause for just a few moments and we're going to pray for uh, church planting. And our brother Mark is going to come lead us in that closing prayer in just a moment. But let's pray. Join your hearts together. You see the prompts. Let's pray for this together. Lord, we're so grateful for your church that you have established. We're grateful for this local body, and we're so thankful that we get to be connected through the power of the Holy Spirit to so many other bodies across this world. We're so thankful for that, God, and the the gift that that is. 
Lord, we pray for uh, churches in, in far places like Sri Lanka or the Maldives or uh, Telangana, that you would uh, strengthen them, you would encourage them, uh, that your Holy Spirit would charge them with faithfulness in areas of evangelism, disciple-making, uh, fellowship. They wouldn't forsake those things, that they would be uh, have healthy growth in all those areas, and that they, in turn, would be empowered and encouraged to also establish the church, that it would be multiplication just as you've shown us in your word tonight how that works according to your gospel kingdom plan, Lord. We're so thankful for the opportunities to pray for our brothers and sisters in places that seem far and distant to us, but they're not far and distant to you, God. They're exactly where you desire them to be and you have plans for them, Lord. We pray for those that we would uh, come alongside them faithfully in love and courage and boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Mark. Now, I know our time is gone. It's 7.30. So let me just mention these two. We won't give the commentary. And then I'm going to ask uh, Miss Lynn and Mr. Bo if they'll come up and just close us in prayer for these last two things. But we see the intentionality of this first missionary team of not only establishing the church, but investing in the development of local leaders. The missionaries did not pastor the churches they planted. They planted those church. They invested in the, the local leaders until they saw new leadership emerge from the harvest that would both shepherd the new church and they also saw workers that emerged that would be sent out to go to new, so missionaries sent from the new churches to take the gospel to neighboring communities. And so leadership development was a vital part of the missionary strategy of Paul and Barnabas, and it must be a vital part of our ministries as well. And the final component is exit. When the missionaries had entered empty fields, had shared the gospel, made disciples, established churches, and appointed local leaders, guess what? They were no longer needed in those places. And so they could exit those fields and enter into a partnership relationship with those churches, but they could exit those fields and enter the next empty field and do what? Evangelize, disciple, church plant, develop leaders until they could exit. And so this is the strategy. This was God's plan for how he would fill this world with the knowledge of his glory. As our closing prayer tonight, I'm going to ask Miss Lynn to come and Bo, if you'll come also. Miss Lynn, if you'll just offer up a prayer for leadership development. And Bo, if you'll offer up a prayer for uh, the exit of our workers, we would appreciate that. Father God, it's indeed a privilege just to call out to you tonight. And Lord, as we all have been privileged by your presence, we have been privileged to be trained tonight to be leaders, leaders in our community, leaders in our church, leaders in our homes, leaders wherever you plant us. And so Lord, I ask that as leaders, that we would demonstrate the character of Christ in our lives. And Lord, in order to demonstrate that character, we must be into your word. Tonight we have been into your word, and we have seen the great commission that you have issued to each of us. So Lord, I ask that we will not leave tonight without new commitments to seek you, to seek your guidance and what you would have for each of us to do as we continue, Lord, to seek your will. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we offer up this prayer. Amen. Lord, we just pray that you would, as we learned tonight, you have called and sent many missionaries. And we just pray that you would lead them, guide them in overseeing the churches that they have set up, Lord. So many churches in South Asia, so much need. We just pray that you would lead them, that you would safeguard them from outside influences, things that would wreak havoc on those churches, that they would continue to grow in your word and grow in your love. 
Lord, you have also called and sent us, and I just pray that each one of us here will be obedient to your call, to your word, as the Spirit leads us, that we may make disciples in Greer, in Traveler's Rest, in Greenville, wherever we are. For it's in your name, Lord, we ask it. Amen. Thank you all for bearing with me four minutes over time. I hope you're still uh, okay out there. It is time to exit though, right? (laughs) And so we got there. On your way out, there are cards like this on tables out both exits. Would you pick up one? It has the name of a people group. And I would just ask you if you would pick it up and take advocacy for this group to pray for them, that the gospel will get to them, that churches will be established among them. There is also a prayer guide, a lengthy guide that covers all that we talked about that will be a great resource for you to use in the days ahead. Last thing, next Wednesday, we have no activities. Next week is spring break. And so there are no activities taking place here next Wednesday. Enjoy that time uh, doing whatever you do on spring break. But it's been a blessing to be with you. Love you all and thank God for you. You're dismissed.